All right, greetings to all of our campuses, uh, including those of you watching on video at 15th Street. I'm teaching live at our West Campus this weekend. We are so glad all of you are here. You know, I wanted to mention that I'm, I'm very excited about a new teaching series that we're starting the week after Easter. It's called Love Songs and is going to be focusing on the Song of Solomon, which is a celebration of relationships and sexuality. So whether you're, whether you're married or single, happy or struggling, seeking love, or just looking for ways to improve relationships, join us beginning the week after Easter for some ancient wisdom for modern relationships. Okay, so this is, this is Holy Week. As you already heard, we have, we have two Good Friday services happening, and then of course our Easter services next weekend, which we're very excited about. I mean, celebrating the resurrection is sort of like the Super Bowl of Christianity, right? Um, and, and the cool thing is, all of us get to participate. Every one of us, every one of us here can be a part of helping make Easter weekend a weekend of high impact for Jesus. And so now, now in honor of David Letterman retiring soon, I thought it would be cool to do a little top 10 list here. Actually, we're just going to do seven. Oh, that's a perfect number, right? So top 10, top seven list for us today. And you younger Jimmy Fallon people, you'll just have to bear with me here, okay? So here, here we go, top Seven ways you can make an impact this Easter. All right, we ready? Here we go. Number seven, pray for the services. Pray for the services and ask God to move. Number six, invite a friend, coworker, or family member to attend an Easter service with you. There is a flyer in your worship packet, and you can use that to invite folks. Number five, way to make an impact, park in the central parking lots if you're coming to a 15th Street service. You know, visitors, they're looking for a close parking space, and if they don't find one, they'll probably go home, all right? Number four, attend a service other than the 9.30 a.m. service on Sunday morning at 15th Street. If you were here last week, you know that service, we had to set up 100 extra chairs in the lobby, and that's not a great experience. So if you're able to go to one of our Saturday night services or our West Campus services or one of the other services at 15th Street, that would be awesome. Number three way to make an impact this Easter, serve in some way. Tiny Tots has needs. You can sign up for Tiny Tots um, to serve and go to one service and serve there. If you're an usher or greeter and you're not on that weekend, might, you might want to check with your, the, the leader of that ministry and see if there are some needs in that area. Number two way to make an impact this Easter, be friendly. Assume that everyone is a visitor. Everyone around you is a visitor. Assume that and greet them and just let's demonstrate just the love and the joy that, that Easter is all about. And finally, number one, here we go. Number one way to make an impact this Easter, tell everyone that Jesus is way cooler than the Easter bunny. In fact, he made bunnies. All right. There we go. Seven simple ways to make an impact this Easter. This, it really is, it's a team effort. It's a team effort. It's going to be a great weekend and all of us play a part. Okay, if you have your Bible or smartphone or iPad or whatever, feel free to turn to Joshua chapter 23. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the Old Testament. We're, it's one of the early books there. We're, we're finishing today, we're finishing a series of messages on the life of Joshua, who is a total stud, right? Joshua is called by God to lead God's people into the promised land. And so we have been learning from him his life, how we can face our fears 
and how we can be strong and courageous. Well, well, today we come to the end of the book. And by now, Joshua is an old man. He's nearing the end of his life. And yet he is still wholeheartedly focused on God, still wanting to, to the best for the people that he has led. And so he gathers the people he gathers the people to share with them his final words, kind of his last lecture, okay? And we know that we know this is not just going to be just trivial information. This is important. This is, dead, de- this is deathbed stuff here. This is what Joshua desperately wants the people to know and understand. He realizes that the trajectory of their lives, their entire future is at stake, But it's not just their future. We are going to discover that these words, though shared thousands of years ago, they are just as relevant and powerful for us today. What Joshua does in this final speech is take this entire journey that they've been on over several decades, and he distills it down to one critical phrase, a phrase that will shape the destiny of every one of us for good or for ill. This phrase is found in Joshua 24, verse 15. Look with me at this verse. In fact, why don't you read this verse out loud with me? Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. The entire trajectory of our lives will be determined by that choice. This one phrase summarizes what determines whether or not we will be strong or courageous, whether or not we we, we will experience a healthy, thriving spiritual life. It boils down to this. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. So what exactly is this choice that he's referring to? The word serve is you, that's used here is not referring to who's gonna do the dishes, okay? That kind of service. No, the word serve has a connotation of worship. Who are you going to worship? That great theologian Bob Dylan had it right um, in his song, you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Even though we as humans like to think that we're independent creatures that are slave to no one, the reality is we all serve something. We as humans are created with a God-shaped void in our lives. And whatever we put in that place will control us. It's what we serve. This is a critical, life-changing question that each of us faces multiple times a day. Who am I going to serve? What am I going to place in this God-shaped void in my heart? And those choices will determine the trajectory of our lives. So what Joshua does in this final speech is describe for us the two options we have. This is not a multiple choice, I'm sorry, but there are only two options. The first option is to serve other gods, small g, gods. In Joshua 23, verse 7, Joshua says this, Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. See, Joshua is recognizing the tendency of the human heart. Even though the Israelites have one God, right? They are now living in the land of Canaan. And we know from archaeology and we know from the Bible that the Canaanite religion in that day involved the worship of many gods. 
And Joshua is very concerned that the people will begin worshiping these other gods rather than the one big G God. Now, why would they do that? It's the same reason we do this. I mean, you may be thinking, I don't worship other gods. Oh, but we do. Every one of us has a God-shaped void in our hearts, and we fill that with all sorts of substitute gods. Things that we think will bring happiness and satisfaction and meaning. For some of us, our God is success. We, we are driven to make more, to do better than anyone else because we believe that having success will fill this void in our lives. For others, it's, it's our reputation. We want other people to like us or to respect us. And when that God is threatened, we get angry or we lie, we exaggerate to make ourselves look better. For some of us, our God is money and, and possession, so we shop, we buy, we covet because we want more. We think that by having things or having more things, our lives will be happy and fulfilled. Now, I haven't even mentioned one of the most powerful little G-gods, and it's the same one the Israelites were most vulnerable to, and that is sexual pleasure. Most of the Canaanite worship rituals involve sex. With, uh, in some way. Baal worship, for instance. Baal was one of their gods. Baal worship involved having, having sex with a temple prostitute in order that you, for your crops, so your crops would prosper. I mean, and, or your business would succeed. I mean, no wonder that the, the danger was so real for the Israelites' hearts to turn that direction. I mean, the pull of sexual desire can be huge and, 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 and it can get redirected so easily and become a god something we are looking to for life and meaning. I mean, this is what's happening in our society, right? This is, this is what explains what's happening in our society. It, it's, it explains what's happening to so many of us. We give in to sexual involvement through porn or, or erotic fiction or hooking up with, with someone or adultery or having sex with our boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. And we, we like to think that these, this activity is harmless and inconsequential, but it's not. It, it, it gets its hook in us. We want more. We need more. I mean, what, 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 while our society celebrates this so-called freedom, the truth is it's not freedom at all. We're serving the God of sex. And, and here's what's painfully true about worshiping any little G God other than the big G God. Here's what's painfully true. When we wor whatever we worship will control us. Whatever we put into this God-shaped void will control us. It will control more and more of our lives. And that, that's not a good place to be. In fact, look at what Joshua says in verse 12 of chapter 23. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord God, your God, has given to you. See, that's what these gods do in our lives. They become snares and traps. In other words, they place us in bondage. What starts as a seemingly insignificant decision begins to exert more and more control over us. We keep going back to it because it gives us some initial pleasure, but soon that, that wears off and, and we're thirsty again. We need another hit. We need another car. We need another outfit. We need another business sale. We need another trophy. We need another spouse. We need another website. I mean, whatever. We just keep going back to these things, even though they don't really satisfy. And not only that, these things, they make lousy gods. 
They make lousy gods. They will fail you. They will blame you. They will destroy you. They will demand more and more from you. They will never forgive you. See, this is why Joshua says they will be whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes. They don't give a rip about you and me. They don't give a rip about us. I recently heard a pastor say this about our idols. He said, if you fail them, they will never forgive you. And if you get them, they will never satisfy you. That's absolutely right. That's, that's, that's the problem with these gods. And that's why this choice is so significant. Who are we choosing to serve? When we choose to serve a little g god, an idol, it will not be a positive experience. And the more of these choices we make, the more the trajectory of our life is negatively impacted. These, these idols will rob us of the things that God longs for us to experience. Now, I'm guessing, I'm not guessing, I'm pretty certain actually, that many of us hear this and we think to ourselves, what hope do I have? I mean, what hope do I have? I know how easily my heart is drawn toward these gods, these idols. I know the negative impact they can have. I mean, I'm living, I mean, many of us here, we're just thinking that to ourselves. Many of us here are right now, we're caught in the web of some false god. We know we've given our heart to porn or to money or whatever, and we are sick of what it's doing to us, but we don't know how to break free. Well, thankfully, the story doesn't end simply with a warning about serving false gods. Joshua gives us another pathway, another option, and it is a pathway any of us here can choose. We can choose. There really is hope for all of us, no matter how far down that road we've gone in worshiping and serving other gods. There is hope. So let's talk about this other option. Joshua says in Joshua 24, verse 15, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in, the, in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. See, that's the other option. Rather than serving these other gods, we can serve the big G God. And the contrast between these two options couldn't be more dramatic. They are polar opposites. We just saw how these other gods don't care about us. They bring us into bondage, seeking to destroy us. That's what serving idols will do. But Joshua wants to make sure we understand that that is not how things work with God. Choosing to serve God is not a destructive, bondage-ridden pathway. In fact, look at, look at the other word. This is fascinating. Look at the other word Joshua uses when urging the people to serve God. Joshua 23, verse 11. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. Did you hear that? Love. Love the Lord your God. This is a love relationship we're talking about here. See, the, the reason God gives us these stern warnings about serving other gods is not because he is this cranky, angry deity who just wants to spoil our fun. No, the reason he gives us these strong warnings is because he loves us. He wants the best for us. 
The, the choice here is between giving our heart to gods that don't care about us or giving our heart to a God who does care, a God who loves us. Now, why is this important? Here's why. In, in our struggles with serving other gods, and, and we all struggle, in, in those moments when we're sick of what this is doing in our lives and we desperately want to break free, what happens often is that we adopt a trying harder mentality. We make promises. I'm going to do better. I promise I'm going to do better. I'm not giving in again. I'm going to say no to anger. I'm going to say no to lust. I'm going to say no to gossip. That's it. That's it. I've, I've had enough. I'm, I'm, drawing a, you know, I'm, I'm driving a stake in the ground here. I'm, I'm done with this. Now, while our promises are absolutely sincere, they don't work. Because we don't have the willpower to change. We don't have the ability in and of ourselves to change. These gods are too powerful. What, what we need to understand is that there is something way more powerful than willpower. That something is love. Love. I mean, before I started dating Raylene, I was not a, a night person. I, I hated staying up late at night. But then we started dating, and I couldn't, I couldn't spend enough time with her. Suddenly, I found myself joyfully staying up late at night just to be with her. My love for her was more powerful than my desire for sleep. This isn't a perfect illustration because then we got married, and, and you know, now I'm falling back to falling asleep early. But, but <laughs> hang with me. The, the illustration has a point, okay? Just stay in that dating area, okay? Here's the, here's the point. It's not a great illustration, but I think it works. When, when we truly love someone... All our other desires come under that primary love. See, that's why this statement of Joshua's is so significant. This isn't a browbeating, you better follow God or else. No, no, no. At the heart of this is a love relationship. Joshua knows that when we love God, when we really love him, when he is at the center of our affection and desire and you know, all of our other desires, when he's at the center of that, even our desires for other gods, all that, when, when he's at the center of our lives, our desire for other gods pales in comparison. It will pale in comparison. That's why this love thing is so powerful. It's so powerful. So let's get really practical here. How can we cultivate this love for God in such a way that it actually helps us stop serving other gods? Well, there are four specific things Joshua mentions in this passage. Four, and these, these are so powerful, and they really provide such a fitting conclusion to this book and to this series on how we can be strong and courageous, how we can walk in all that God has for us. Four, four ways to cultivate a greater love for God. First, first way to cultivate a greater love for God, remember what he's done for you. Remember what he has done for you. What happens throughout these two chapters is that Joshua frequently mentions what God has done for them. He talks about how the Lord has driven out your enemies before them. He talks about God's faithfulness. I mean, look, look, look at verse 14 of 23. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Not one. 
In chapter 24, Joshua goes into this long summary of how the Lord has led them and provided for them, beginning with Abraham and and then Moses and then the crossing of the Jordan and the entry into the promised land. Why does Joshua bring all this stuff up? It's because he knows the power of remembering who God is and what he has done. Our love for God is stoked and stirred when we remember what he's done for us. He gave his son Jesus on the cross for you and me. I mean, what amazing love he has demonstrated for us. Remembering that love can stir our love for him. So how do we remember? I mean, one thing that's so helpful for me, at least, is worship. Just listening to worship on my iPhone or engaging in worship when we gather as a church. Why it's important to gather as a church. I need that. We need that. These amazing songs help me remember, not just in my mind, but in my heart, what God has done, how awesome he is. These songs stir my love for him. Another way to remember is to have people in your life who help you remember. I mean, during particular seasons in my life, I've been helped by seeing certain counselors. And what I've discovered is that the best counselors, for me at least, the best counselors are the ones who point me to the gospel, who remind me of what Jesus has done. We need people like that in our lives. Friends, we need people that are doing that. Maybe teachers we're listening to. They remind us what God has done. Again, again, our love for God is stirred when our hearts are grateful for his, for his mercy, for who he is. And the result of our love being stirred is that the pull of these other gods lessens. Second key to cultivating a greater love for God, repent of your idols. Repent of our idols. Now, and using the word repent, I'm not simply talking about confession, admitting we struggle. I mean, confessing our sin to God. That's important. But I'm t- repentance, I'm talking about something more than that. L- look at what Joshua says in Joshua 24, verse 14. Look at this. He says, throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped before the Euf- uh, beyond the Euphrates River. Throw them away. Remember when Jesus talked about lust? He said, maybe you don't remember this, that's okay. Um, if you're new to all this Christian faith, I just want to draw our attention to what he said here. Remember, he's, he, if you don't remember, this is what he said. He said, if, you're right, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Yuck, how gross. I mean, what, what is he saying here? I mean, he wasn't talking literally. Otherwise, you'd only be able to do this twice, right? One for each eye. Well, what he was saying is, Look, what he's saying is, look, if the God of lust, if the, if the God of lust is a problem, you need to take serious action. The further we go down the road of idolatry, whatever the idolatry is, the further we go down that road, the more power these things have in our lives, which is why sometimes radical surgery is needed. I was talking with a friend of mine the other day. He shared about how he had this iPad, Mini. That was, you know, it was like a toy to him. He didn't use it for work or anything. It was just a toy. It just something he, he would kind of play with periodically. But he, but he said to me, this thing has become my porn machine. And I hate what it's doing to me. So what did he do? He got rid of it. I was so proud of him. That, that's repentance. That's throwing away our idols. 
We must do this. I'm not saying every iPad mini we're supposed to throw away. I hope you're not hearing that. That's not the point at all. But for him, that was the right move. It had become an idol. See, we must do this with idols if we, in, in, in order to, in, to help us love God, in order to be able to love God. Because the problem is, here, this, is so, this is so important, the problem is these other gods are competing for that love. And so as long as we're serving them, we can't love God. As Jesus said in Matthew 6, he's the one that drew, made this, this, uh, this connection. Verse 24, no one can serve, same word we're using here in Joshua, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. See, that, that's how our other gods work. They are vying for our heart. They're vying for our love. And often, they're winning the battle. They're often, they're winning. So what do we do when our hearts are being pulled more and more toward this idol, toward this other God? What do we do? We need more than a confession of sin. We need radical surgery to get our hearts free enough so that our passion for God can be restored and rekindled because this idol is just taking all that. We need our hearts free enough so that this passion can be restored. So what does that look like for you and me? I, I don't know. We all just have to ask, what needs to, what needs to be thrown away? What needs to be gotten rid of? What needs to be cut off for at least a season? Yeah, I, I, think, I think we know what that is. Maybe it's a credit card that needs to be cut up because shopping has become your God. Maybe it's some possession or some activity that has become way too important to you. Maybe you need to get rid of some technology that's causing you to stumble. Or maybe you need to place a filter on your computer or television or smartphone or have someone else place that filter on there for you. Maybe you and your girlfriend need to start setting some serious sexual boundaries. I don't know what that radical action step is for you. But I do know, I do know that continuing to keep these other gods around when they're eating our lunch is not going to fuel a love for Jesus. I know that. In fact, it will take us in the opposite direction. These idols will just take more and more control of our lives. Repentance is critical in our love for God. <clears throat> Third way to cultivate a love for God, renew your mind with God's word. Renew your mind with God's word. This is the counterpoint to the last point, right? In addition to getting rid of things, we also need to add things. Joshua says in Joshua 23, verse 6, Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. See, he is hearkening back to God's word in the first chapter. If you were here, you may remember in Joshua 1. And, and, and he, says, he says almost the exact same thing. Only in chapter 1, God adds this. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. See, he is urging us to focus our minds and our hearts on God's word. You know, what, what we think about influences our behavior. And that's scary because our, our society is bombarding us with things that fuel our idolatry. 
I mean, seriously. Nearly every television commercial has this subliminal message. Worship me. Worship me. You need to drive me or smell like me or have a girlfriend like me in order to be satisfied. We are bombarded with these messages. And they're trying to divert our love for God, which is why we desperately need what Paul describes in Romans 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have got to renew our mind with God's word. We've got to fill our minds with the truth of his word or else our lives will continue to be conformed to the pattern of this world we live in. Our lives will continue to be shaped by our idols. I mean, let me just ask all of us here, including me, how much time do we spend reflecting on God's word compared to how much time we spend watching things that promote the values of the world. Just to do a face-up comparison, how would that compare? Some of, us, some of us don't spend any time in the Word. And then we wonder why these gods are eating our lunch. Let, let's do what God says. Meditate on His Word day and night. The impact will be huge. Our love for God will grow as our love for these other gods will lessen. There's one final way to cultivate our love for God, and this this really brings the other three together here. Rely on Jesus. Rely on Jesus. There's this powerful word Joshua uses in chapter 23 to talk about our relationship with God. Look at verse 8. But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. Now this word, or this phrase, hold fast, can also be translated cling. Cling to the Lord your God. This word is not simply describing, you know, kind of holding hands, holding fingers or whatever. This word, this word describes super glue, okay? That's what's happening here. It, 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 it means to adhere to permanently. Now, when we look at this through the lens of the new, and by the way, that, that same word is used in Genesis 2. The husband will leave his father and mother and will cling to his wife. It was describing this, this permanent super glue, not superficial, this significant adhering, okay? So just to give you an idea of this word, how it's used, it's very significant. Now, here's the cool thing. Again, we're looking at this through the lens of the New Testament. And when we look at this through the lens of the New Testament, we realize something very cool. This clinging, this adhering to God is not dependent upon us as if we have to keep hanging on to God. We, we all know that we don't always hang on to God very well. When we really understand the gospel, when we understand the gospel, when we understand what Christ has done for us on the cross, we realize that this clinging is something he is responsible for. He clings to us forever. 
His blood shed on the cross establishes a permanent adhering to us. When we admit our need and we place our trust in Jesus, at that moment we are adopted into his family forever. We are his beloved sons and daughters forever. His spirit comes to live in us forever. He adheres himself to us forever. This relationship is completely dependent upon him. So what do we do to live in this reality? We rely on him. We rest in Christ's finished work. We place our trust in him. This is not about us trying to cling to God and hoping we don't let go of him. No, 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 no. This is about us relying on a God who is now and forever clinging to us because of Jesus' work on the cross. This God will never let us go. He will never let us go. I remember when my kids were little and we would be walking along and I'd grab hold of their hair. They'd grab a hold of my hand and man, that's the greatest thing in the world. I miss those days. You know, it was the greatest thing in the world. Now, if they were, if we were in any danger, you know, if, we, if, if, if there was any, we're walking along a street, if there was a parking lot, if we were in any danger, if there was any, any chance of them running into a busy street or, or whatever, I changed the way I held their hand. It wasn't just their hand and mine, that kind of thing. Now, I had my hand around their wrist so they couldn't slip away. They couldn't slip away. They couldn't slip out of my grasp. The gospel says to us, that's the way God holds our hand. Not in a way that is dependent upon our grip, but rather in a way that is totally dependent upon his grip. Our job is to just rely on him, to rest in this relationship that is ours. You see, Joshua's charge to the people in Joshua 23 and 24, his charge to the people is just as important and relevant to us today. God says to us today, choose this day whom you will serve. You have the choice to continue worshiping other gods that will control you and rob you of life or to choose to love God. And what a huge difference that choice will make. Huge difference that choice will make. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, would you come and And do what you do, just in your gentle way. Would you speak? Would you move in our hearts to respond? That's what this is about right now. This is about response. It doesn't matter if we can remember the four points or whatever. This is about us responding to what you're saying. So I want to begin where I think naturally we ought to begin as the Holy Spirit reveal the gods that are in our hearts. You probably have already been doing that, but I pray you would bring to our mind what are the things that we 
have subconsciously believed I must have this in order for my life to have meaning. I must have people like me. I must have a successful business. I must, well, whatever that is, whatever we have placed in that God-shaped void and said, this is what will bring me life and meaning. Rather than Jesus, this is what's going to bring me meaning. That's an idol. It's a God. So Holy Spirit, would you bring to our mind whatever those gods are? Okay, as, as these are in our mind, here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to kind of walk us through these four things. And in, in, in a moment, uh, ushers, you, can, you don't need to bring the elements forward yet, but in a moment, we're going to be, in a couple minutes, we're going to be partaking of the Lord's Supper. This is the perfect opportunity to do that. These four things all reinforce what the Lord's Supper is all about. So first thing, remember Remember what Christ has done. Remember what God has done for you. So Lord, we want to we do that right now. We just want to remember the awesome God you are, how faithful you are. We want to love you, and we thank you that your love has been poured out upon us in so many ways. And we just open our hearts and our minds to remember the kind of God you are. And, and we've, we have admitted, yeah, we're chasing after other idols. We've, we're worshiping these other gods, but we are reminding our hearts and our souls right now of what an awesome God you are. We remember. In fact, you gave your son for us on the cross. Wow. Thank you for that. Secondly, repent. Initially, just a confession, Lord. We confess that we have worshiped this God. We're worshiping these gods And then, then the response is, what do I need to do to get rid of this? What do I need to do to step back from this? Because it has a pull on me. So Holy Spirit, I want to pray right now in these moments, you would bring that to mind. What's the step you're asking us to take regarding that idol? Show us what that is. And I pray for the courage to do it. Man, let's just admit it, Lord. We, we admit it to you. We love our idols. We love these gods. That's why we keep running after them. And we know they're robbing us of love for you. So give us wisdom to know what it looks like to throw them away, to put filters up, boundaries, whatever we need. Show us what that is and give us the courage to do that. Third, we want to renew our minds, Lord, even, even, to, even today, just in looking at your word. And we, we recommit ourselves just to be being people of your word, renewing our minds with your word. Pray you'd help us just make that a greater priority in our lives. And then finally, this privilege we have to rely on Christ's work. 
you're holding our hand. It's not depend. This relationship is not dependent upon us. When it is, there's, if it was, there's no way we could have a relationship with you. Thank you for sending your son to die on a cross for us. This relationship is completely dependent upon you, upon your work given on the cross. And I want you just to sit in that for a moment, just as you're relying on Christ, as you're thinking of what he's done for you. And I want to I want to give an invitation because there may be some of you here and what you need to understand is that's the only way into a relationship with God. It's not about your own effort. Be a good person and go to church when you can and hope that in the end of your life that God, your good deeds will outweigh your bad. That's not how it works. We need Jesus. We're drowning in our sin. We need a Savior. That's why Jesus came to the earth to die for you and me in our place, to save us from our sin. And there may be some of you here, and you're like, that's what I need. I want a relationship with God where he holds my hand at my wrist, and he will not let go of me because it's a relationship that's not dependent upon me. I want to know God in that way. Well, if that's the desire of your heart, I want to lead you in a prayer right now where you can, you can just pray along with me in the silence of your heart. This is for any, any age. If you understand what I'm saying here, you're not too young, you're not too old. If you understand what I'm saying, you can receive Jesus right now. Have your sins forgiven. He will come and live within you. So pray with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I acknowledge that you are holy and I'm not. And I realize there is nothing I can do to get to you, no matter how often I go to church, how good a person I am doesn't matter. I'm separated from you because of my sin. But I don't want to be separated from you. I want to be in a relationship with you. I believe Jesus, your son, came to the earth and he he came to earth and he died on the cross in my place. He died for my sin as a sacrifice for my sin. And I place, I choose right now to place my trust in him. I place my trust in you, Jesus. I bring to you all my faults and my sins and my failures and my doubts and my questions. I bring all of me to you. And I ask you now, I receive you now. Come live in me through the presence of your spirit. Forgive my sin, past, present, and all the sins I haven't even committed yet. Forgive them all by your blood and come live in me, changing me from the inside out. God, I want to pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. I pray they would grow in their relationship with you. This love relationship with you, help them grow. And if you did just pray that prayer, I encourage you to consider taking the Alpha course. There's information on the Easter flyer. It starts the week after Easter. Great way to begin this relationship. So Lord, thank you. Help all of us grow in our relationship with you. So now we have the the privilege of receiving the Lord's Supper as a way to engage in these four things that we've talked about in in a tangible way. So ushers, if you are ready, if you're, whenever you're ready, come on up and then just, just wait up here. Just come on up if you would. And I want to pray for us. I want to pray for us that our hearts would be reflective and open as the elements are passed. 
So Holy Spirit, thank you for this opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper and to reinforce the things that we have been talking about, remembering and repenting and renewing our mind and relying on Christ's work. Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity, for the bread, for the juice. We thank you for what they represent. And we open our hearts afresh to you now. Okay, ushers, you can distribute the elements.